Welcome to episode 105, Realm 8 of our series, This Part, Intimacy and MS. Today we are joined again by Dominatrix Mistress Magenta, as well as writer Sarah Youngblood Gregory. Sarah Youngblood Gregory is a lesbian poet and culture writer. In addition to serving on the board of the lesbian literary and arts journal, Sinister Wisdom, Sarah is published in Vice, Jezebel, and the Huffington Post, among others. And Mistress Magenta is an American dominatrix who is living on the Gold Coast of Australia. She is also a fellow MSer. The following content is intended for a mature audience only. Please be advised that the podcast is meant for entertainment purposes. We do not endorse or promote products. The Myelin and Melanin podcast discusses the life experiences of the hosts and their guests. Each guest that appears consents to sharing their personal story and experience. If you have questions regarding your sexual health, please consult your medical team. Also, the Myelin and Melanin podcast is not a substitute for therapy. We are not providing medical, psychological, or religious advice whatsoever. Should you become pregnant, it's not our fault. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Myelin and Melanin podcast. I'm Dawn. And I'm Dana. We are two Black women sharing our musings on life, MS, and everything in between. You can find us on the web at myelinandmelanin.com, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at myelinmelanin. You can also subscribe to us on YouTube. If you're a fan of the podcast, please consider supporting us through our Patreon. Patrons gain exclusive access to bonus content, giveaways, myelin and melanin merchandise, and more. Our Patreon can be found at patreon.com forward slash myelinmelanin. We also want to give a special thanks to our music producer, Shah Severe, for providing our podcast music over the past three seasons. We want to welcome the both of you back to our series. We've really enjoyed the conversations that we've had with you. So welcome, Sarah, and welcome, Mistress Magenta. Thanks for having me back. Hi, great to be here. Thank you. Um, So, Sarah, before we get started and really talk about everything that we're getting into today, we asked Mistress Magenta in the previous episode with her, what does intimacy mean? And we want to ask you, what does intimacy mean to you? Oh, that's a big question. Um, To me, intimacy is... It is uh, definitely a connection between one or more individuals. Um, I think also intimacy can exist with one own self and in one own self. Um, It's also vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the willingness to be very soft and exposed with someone else while, or yourself while also being safe. for me, it's those three things, uh, like the safety, the vulnerability, the connection. 
that's what I look for when I want to be intimate with someone. Wow. That's like vulnerability is a running theme. I think a lot of people have been talking about that. So um, yeah, that's, that's cool. Very cool. And the next question we have for you, Sarah, is so what song gets you in the mood if you have one? Oh, <laughs> uh, that's a question. I feel like it, it really depends. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, I listen to uh, the Screaming Females a lot during sex. Um, I really like them. They're pretty, they're punkish, they're rockish, they're pretty high energy. Um, also, the main, the main singer, she's a lesbian, and she has a lot of chronic pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just really, I love her work, and I love her approach to music, and I really relate to her as a person. So I feel like if I invite a singer into the bedroom. That's um, what's going to be. Yeah, usually it's it's someone that I can at least connect with on like some very basic levels. So I don't know if there's a song in particular, Uh um, but I will just play the whole artist. Okay. Like all the albums, everything. Yeah. The Screaming Females. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sarah, Sarah, I feel like your answer is so much deeper than me. I did not. (laughs) I was like, I was like, (laughs) I I connect to Shaggy, but like on a different level (laughs) I'm like like, I feel him down in my soul (laughs) I love it that voice that voice just gets me (laughs) well we also wanted to refresh everyone's memory and just uh introduce you mistress magenta if if you hadn't already gotten to read uh sarah's um article in the huffington post um, an article was posted or posted published in July of this year, this summer, and her article um, is amazing. First of all, I hope everyone reads it. We talked about it um, pretty extensively in our episode before with Sarah, but her article is called "As a Disabled Person, I Love Bondage," and here's why. Um, so yeah, we just kind of encourage everyone to definitely read it and read up about it and take a look at Sarah. She's amazing. And yeah, and so, you know, as we are, you know, talking with you, Mistress Magenta and Sarah, Mm -hmm. we know the world of kink seems to be fairly large and not monolithic. And so I think that that's why it's very interesting that we're talking with both of you because, you know, you represent different spectrums of the community. But also, you know, talking with both of you, we know that while the kink community uh, is, you know, I would characterize it, you know, based on our conversations with you, Mistress Magenta, as a generally, generally welcoming community, when we think about kink, people with chronic illnesses and, and disabilities aren't always, aren't often represented in people's minds mm. when they think about kink and BDSM and things like that. They don't think about folks with disabilities. Anyway, so with all of that said, like I said, it's really interesting to have both of you on to offer your perspectives. That being said, we talked with you, Mistress Magenta, uh, when we talked to you initially about how you got involved in the kink community. Sarah, I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about how you became involved in the community or you, how you got involved in the community. Yeah, I would say I always had a a natural inclination towards 
rough sex, towards bondage, towards breath play. And those were things that sort of seemed, you know, I never knew where they came from. Mm -hmm. But in my early to late teenage years, I realized that I did have an interest in those things. But that I never acted upon those because I was in high school and I wasn't out yet. Mm -hmm. Um, But I did realize that you know, down the line, these would be things that I wanted to explore. So I became, Mm -hmm. I became aware of kink through my own kind of inclinations, but then also largely because um, I'm polyamorous. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're queer and you're polyamorous and you're kinky leaning, there's a lot of overlap between those three identities. Mm -hmm. Um, So the more I sort of delved into polyamory and ethical non-monogamy, the more I realized that most of the people that I was interested in anyway, and that we're going to do polyamory in the way that I wanted to do them were already kinky, which was mm-hmm. great for me. And, you know, when I was 21, I was hit by a car and that disabled me. So, you know, after that, I couldn't have sex for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it was really during that period, I think, because I, I, I wasn't able to have sex and that wasn't my choice. I spent a lot of time on the internet during recovery mm-hmm. and I became really committed to the idea you know once I was recovered enough and I'm still in recovery you know that will never end for me Mm -hmm. but once I was at the point where I could leave the house where I could drive again where I could walk a little bit I knew that I really wanted to recommit myself to this idea of like a king community and finding it and being a part of it Mm -hmm. so after that it just sort of happened naturally I had always been in my sexual experiences someone who was more interested in more hardcore things Um, and then I found a partner who was more experienced than I was and also had a range of kinks that I haven't even heard of before Mm -hmm. Um, and she's my current partner and being with her has been pretty amazing and I think you know I think a lot of the things about being queer and also kinky it's there's a coming out process with both of those things Mm -hmm. and in the coming out process you also generally find someone that brings you in so for Mm -hmm. me meeting like my first lesbian at 18 really brought me into this world that I know I that I knew existed and that I had tried my best to do alone but you can't really be in a one-person community you know right so when I started meeting lesbians that's when you know my lesbian universe exploded then when I started meeting um you know my kinky partner and then this kinky partner and then this kinky mentor it sort of just exploded from there so for me a lot of it was just kind of finding the right people and then being invited in um Mm -hmm. though I am still very new to like you know kink communities it's only been a few years a couple years Mm -hmm. for me and you can like it it can take 10 lifetimes to learn all there is about kink because there are so many Mm -hmm. and there's so many different practices there's so many different people and pockets Mm -hmm. which for me is really exciting you know there's so there's so many people to learn from um and there's so much pleasure out there for me it's um it's this constant process of getting in community even more so. Right. I have like so many questions right now and I don't even know where to start for both of you. Like, do you Dana? Cause I've never heard of breath play. I don't know what that is. I do, but I just want to like, like have some context for folks. So yeah. For, so for hopefully, excuse me, hopefully, Everyone's been like listening to the whole series faithfully and everything. But if you haven't, Mistress Magenta is a dominatrix who happens to have MS. So that's that. With that being said, I would, and I don't want to misrepresent you, Mistress 
do you want to just like briefly share like like this sounds like very like dehumanizing but like what you are in the community like how you would characterize yourself to other kinky folk yeah um so yeah so i'm i would consider myself a dominatrix and i do in australia do pro-dom work so you know people can, will come to me if they want to explore kinks but can't find partners that want to explore it with them or mm. for some reason don't feel comfortable mm. um but i also am in the lifestyle personally as well so um i participate in uh kink and dom domination with my partner but not in a 24-hour lifestyle way like many doms do that's not something i'm totally interested in i sometimes uh -huh. you know yeah especially when you when you get to dominate people all the time sometimes you're just like i just want to like chill out <laughs> can you make can you make the decisions for tonight <laughs> yes i don't have the need to do it 24 7 but um it is it i have found um after i was diagnosed i think i talked about it a little bit and mm. maybe i'll just mention it in here um when I was first diagnosed, I felt like my life was just out of control and I um, had been involved in the lifestyle side of uh, the BDSM community and the kink community. But when I, after I was diagnosed, I kind of dove more into the dominatrix side because uh, it just made me feel like I was in control when I felt like so many other parts of my life were out of control. Mm -hmm. And I think it really helped me greatly kind of exploring that side of myself. Mm -hmm. so. There are a lot of parallels between uh, Mistress Magenta, your story, and Sarah's story. So with all, of, all that you shared, uh, Sarah, about how you became involved, where do you place yourself in the kink community? Like, who are you? Does that, I don't even know if I'm asking the right question, yeah, but. That makes sense. That makes sense. I would say to keep it really simple, which mm -hmm. I try to do, I would say that I'm a submissive bottom. Okay. And that's who I am. Okay. Would you mind describing, or not describing, but explaining briefly what that means for people, I guess, like me, who are just learning about these terms and the vocabulary? Yeah, so I think, you know, it really does depend on certain people's like dynamics and like negotiated dynamics. But for me, being submissive basically means that I don't give pleasure in the traditional sense when we think about like the actor and like the receiver, right? Mm -hmm. Like the heteronormative understanding of like, okay, who's on top and who's like doing the thing and who's on bottom and who's receiving the thing. Mm -hmm. I'm the person on the bottom receiving the thing which doesn't mean that I'm not giving, you know, Right. but essentially basic bare bones. That's how I would describe it. I receive penetration, uh, different acts of pleasure. I receive, you know, like, like impact play. I am the one who's tied up when I'm interested in bondage, that kind of stuff. So whatever mm -hmm. the kind of play is that we're engaging in, I receive it. So that, that's basically how I would describe it. Also a big part of that too, is I do have a daddy which looks very different for lots of different people but for mm -hmm. me that basically means that I have a dom and we engage accordingly and we use mm -hmm. power dynamics and power exchanges in, in very specific ways mm -hmm. um 
if that makes sense. Okay. It does, and I follow. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it makes sense to me, and I'm just even more fascinated. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not about, and this is for, for either of you, it sounds to me that, and we've both discussed, or all four of us have discussed this in our different episodes, it's not about sex per se, it's, and it's not about the orgasm, correct? It's like, is it about- Or is it all? Well, and, oh, is it, and like, I, think, is it and I, think, I think sometimes, you know, I guess it depends on what you mean by, by sex, because I feel like a lot of times- I'm sorry, penetration. Yeah, yes. pen- yeah, that's the, yes. yeah, it's not about, yes. yeah, because a lot of times, like, with, you know, yeah, heteronormative people, like, well, that penetration, um, yeah, no, not necessarily, um, a lot of times with my submissives, part of the play is withholding orgasms, so it's not a necessary, so that can be part of the pleasure, that's one of, that's one of my kinks is holding my submissives, um, with, withholding orgasms and chastity, so, so that can be a whole different, a whole different thing. And yeah. um, some of the play is very intimate, very sexualized without being traditional sex. And that's mm-hmm. considered your kink. Okay. So please, you all, please forgive me because yeah. I am now like learning about all of this. So please <laughs> forgive me for these questions. So that, that's considered the kink. Okay. Got it. And I think it, I, I think it does depend though, because at least you know I think for queer people and I think for disabled people, it's it's maybe more intuitive to take a more expansive understanding of sex, like beyond penetration. Mm-hmm. So I think you know sex for me can be, you know, just what I described in the Huffington Post article. It can be getting tied up, and that's it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like as long as there's that intimacy that exchange, that power exchange. Right. For me, it's it's the receiving of pleasure, but also giving the pleasure back to my dom, my daddy, because they love giving it, right? So like that's pleasure mm. for them. So and then for me, that's a successful sexual exchange. That is yeah. sex. It's just the exchange of pleasure for all parties involved. Right. So I wouldn't necessarily say that like you know, not having like an or like orgasm restriction or like not having like, basically orgasm denial. I wouldn't necessarily say that that's always a kink, though it is one of mine. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm not me. saying yeah, yeah. I wasn't oh, saying yeah, that was everyone. That was just my particular kink. Oh, mm-hmm. I know, no, no. I know, I know exactly what you meant. But I'm also just yeah. saying like that can also just be like sex. You know? Oh like, yeah. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. I think that um, the way that at least in the US and, you know, a lot of Western countries define sex is in a very small box. And I think the kink community, our box is way more open to what we would call a sexual encounter. Mm, absolutely. Um, and I, to- I totally agree with you, Sarah, on that one. I mean, if I can be honest, I would say a sexual encounter would be seeing someone for example, at a restaurant or across the room or at some open area uh, outing and you are just simply flirting and you go against, you brush up against each other and then there's some sort of touching and caressing or I don't know, and breathing heavy around one another. And there's some, not necessarily the penetration, but there's physical contact. I mean, and like the whole 
the the chemistry that's there, the energy that like mm -hmm. I want this, but I don't want this here. I want this here. I don't. You know what I mean? The push pull, and maybe yeah. that's that's your kink. You know, just like being out in the open. I, that to me would seem like it could be a sexual experience, or I would consider that sex. I, I yeah. I love your like description. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, was, right? I know. I'm, I'm like, yeah, where's my fan? <laughs> I was like, I was like, keep going. <laughs> well, yeah, I stopped because I was like, oh God. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say. I was going to say something. <laughs> I remember. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, you all are like teaching me. So yeah. Can you explain what breath play is, though, Sarah? Would you mind? Uh, whew, that's, um, I think the easiest way is just to say um, some, sort, some sort of restriction of breathing. Mm -hmm. um, it can happen a, a lot of different ways, um, but generally, it's some sort of control over breathing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Wow. <laughs> And I think, no, I like that Sarah explained that. And I think it totally ties into, you know, our conversation with Mistress Magenta, um, you know, the, one of our earlier conversations with her talking about how when it comes to kink and a lot of these kinks, communication and making sure that people are doing things safely is key. Consent, um, because consent right, yeah. and right and people knowing what they're doing I think that's yeah. a huge thing I think with breath play um it's really important to have a partner that a you trust mm -hmm. b is educated because there are a lot of safe ways and a lot of unsafe ways to do breath play mm -hmm. so and to be honest like dozens of other um types of play so just knowing that your your partner is experienced and you go slow and um, you have safe words or safe gestures if, you know, because some parts of breath play, you're totally, you know, because a lot of times I'll participate in uh, like face sitting where they can't, safe words not going to help them there. So <laughs> yeah. um, I, they have, they have hand gestures and things, but it's just right. all, all that stuff is really important. And I mean, I think it yeah, always goes back to communication and mm -hmm. just, yeah, I think that's most important thing yeah and i think understanding that there's always going to be some sort of risk involved you yeah. know mm -hmm. and like, like making yeah. a plan to mitigate all risk yeah is really important yeah absolutely thank so, you for that and how does one <laughs> get involved in because i would be interested i i don't know that I didn't know that I would be because it's never really come up. I've just been in this quote heteronormative world and have this idea of what sex is. I mean, I've always wanted to experience and explore, but how does somebody get involved and like, where do you go? What do you look up? Well, I guess it's a follow-up question I would ask you is, are you interested in trying out some of the stuff in the privacy of your own bedroom or are you looking to get involved in the community in the privacy of my own bedroom with my partner that i trust and gotcha. i'm comfortable with i mean i would say go uh i learned i've learned a lot of well the thing is going to going to well vetted um kink educators there are a lot 
online, but just making sure that you're going to the right people because a lot of times um, you have people who teach incorrectly. It depends on the things you want to mm. find. But yeah, there are plenty of te- kink educators out there. Mm. But I guess another question is, as disabled individuals, how do you start thinking about the kink world if you're interested in that? Like, yeah, just because your body is is presenting itself in a different way, where do you begin? You know what I mean? Like, and Sarah, I know you expressed having pain with your disability. I mean, how do you like, I don't even know how to ask this question. Like, how do you get in, how do you know what's, who to seek out that, that can help you with that? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's, you know, that's a hard question because kink, it's a lot more mainstream and it's a lot easier to find now than I think it ever was, but it's Mm -hmm. still not for me, super easy. You know, I also, I live in a rural place in central Florida. I can't, you know, go to a club. (laughs) I can't find a place that's going to have a a safe, accessible place for me, you know? Mm -hmm. So really for me, I've, I've looked to the internet, which has been a really invaluable resource. I learned from a lot of queer and kinky educators online. Um, And especially right now during quarantine, there's a lot of uh, Zoom classes going on, which have been really wonderful to see and watch and learn from. So yeah, I think, and it it has taken me a while to find educators that I really uh, trust and admire what they do and feel that what they do is grounded in values that I share. But now that I do have a couple of those people, that's been really, really helpful because that means if I have a phone and internet, you know, I can directly translate the things that I learn into my real life with the Mm -hmm. people that are in my life. A lot of what I've done to find community is to build my own. So, you know, making my house, my home into a space where people can come into, which is responsibility, a lot of that. But also it's just a way to just have a space like that, you know, where you can even just talk about these things. Right. Um, Another good place for me is just looking to sex workers, like OnlyFans, like I'll subscribe to anybody kinky that I like their pictures. I see, you know, if they're, if they're in a picture and they're wearing a hood, I'm like, okay, probably we'll have something in common. I can probably learn from them. So looking Mm -hmm. at like sex workers and porn and their Instagram accounts and just supporting their work generally. One, it gives me ideas. Two, it gives me like visualizations. Mm -hmm. And three, there's also a lot of, you know, disabled sex workers out there who work from home. So Mm, learning Mm -hmm. from them is good. And also uh, FetLife is good for ideas as well. I don't really use it. My partner does sometimes, um, but that's a good place for like seeing who's out there learning about different kinks getting ideas for different kinks like I think a lot of a lot of what finding community is too is just seeing what's out there and Mm -hmm. using your imagination and seeing what other people can come up with yeah and I would agree with the fet with fet life as well um there because you can kind of uh, join communities that are within your interest and they talk about different things within that interest um and also you can find you know, it's, 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 it's weird that you, it's weird because I hadn't actually thought about the fact that, you know, you said you're kind of from more, more out of the way area. I guess I, I never thought about how, um, I guess, privileged I've been to be able to always live in, in, a, in and around cities. 
Um, mm. So it's always been very easy for me to get that kind of kink education. There was always the pretty, pretty big communities where I've been. But yeah, I, I, I would, yeah, I would say probably FetLife would be a good place. But and I, I go to a lot of events that I see from FetLife. Not, and a lot of them are education events, munches, which are events where kinky people will get together in a very vanilla setting, like just going to dinner or going on a bar crawl just so you can, you know, meet other people within the community in a non-kink setting. Mm-hmm. But I, I, you know, I, I would have no idea. I mean, maybe Sarah could speak to if the, if, if there are events in smaller areas or if I would imagine that might be harder. I've, you know, I've never even experienced. I would say that there are events, but it's, at least in my experience, they're not in like public places, you know, mm-hmm. so you don't go to a club, you would go to somebody's home. And, um, you know, I think there's more risk when, when that's yeah. involved, you're going into somebody's home, you don't know who their friends are, you know, it's not just a bunch of people in a, in a room that they're in a club that may or may not know each other or in a workshop that may or may not know each other. There's connections there, there's histories there that you don't know about. Right. Um, and that's just, that's, riskier and I think especially too like if you're if you're not willing to engage with men which I'm not Mm -hmm. your your opportunities are more than cut in half so it's hard uh yeah it's hard Mm -hmm. and I don't know if I have any real answers other than I keep trying and I keep meeting new people and I keep enjoying Mm -hmm. people's company and I think, yeah, I don't know. I just try to invest in people and relationships and see who I meet from there. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more network building, I would say, right. than just kind of going to a public venue. Right. So it takes a lot longer. Thank yeah, you for that. I think I'll start with a book and the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Google. Yeah, Google. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. So Mistress Magenta, the last time we talked with you, we were um, tackling a pretty heavy, big question. And we wanted to get into the second part of that question. And I think that it's really interesting and going to be fascinating because we have Sarah here now too to, to add her perspective to the topic. And so, and it's really not a question. It's kind of a comment And I guess some questions will kind of uh, come from that comment. So I'm just going to read it. So they write, creativity in kink and creativity in disability, i.e. the overlaps in the ways that disability and kink make us more creative people at navigating the world, at conceptualizing and giving and receiving pleasure, at coping with pain, at understanding the individual and varying needs of different bodies. Wow, that's big. That's huge. And so, yeah. And so, you know, as Dawn and I were reading the question, the comment, we were realizing that as we were planning for this series and as we're uh, recording with people, creativity isn't a topic that we thought about explicitly. So we've been talking about what surrender and liberation and control mm-hmm. and all these other big terms as it relates to intimacy, but creativity isn't something that we explicitly thought about, which is wild because, you know, as people who are disabled, creativity is something that like 
we have to be creative. If we're going to adapt and adjust to life and to reality, you know, sexual or non-sexual, creativity has to be a thing. So with all of that said, um, I'll ask both of you, whoever wants to uh, dive in first, as a disabled person or as a person who is chronically ill, how do you view the concept of creativity as it relates to kink and intimacy? Um, well, I, I think there definitely multi, multiple levels to that. Right. One is a, a, th- a thing we've been talking about this whole time is that uh, broadening your definition of what sex is, what kink is, mm-hmm. what can be pleasurable, you know, or sorry, yeah, because mm-hmm. a lot of people have this very, you know, if, if, you know, you know a lot of, you know, there are a lot of people who have uh, issues with uh, uh, vaginal intercourse and are mm-hmm. like, well, then my sex life is over. And it's like, well, that's definitely not the case. Right. Um, and, and then for people who are in the kink scene, you know, I do a lot of DIY type stuff with some of my equipment um, to make sure that it's easier for me to use with my partners, with my clients, because I do have weakness on one side. So sometimes I have days where, you know, I can't grip as well. I can't stand for as long. And so I need to make sure that my equipment is adaptable for that. So you have to get Mm -hmm. creative because sometimes that stuff isn't sold. So I'm like, you know, Hey, can you add this? You know, you know, I'll ask one of my subs, Hey, can you add this to this piece of equipment for me? You know, so it's, you have to think, you have to think outside the box on how you can make the the equipment and what you want work for you. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. What are your thoughts, Sarah? How do you view creativity connected to, you know, as somebody, you know, somebody who is living with a disability and yeah, how do you relate that to kink or to intimacy? Well, I really like what Mistress Magenta said. Um, I think she was talking a lot about, you know, this expansive approach to sex Mm -hmm. and also the tools that we use to do sex. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like, sex can involve bodies it can involve toys it can involve only certain parts of the body I think when we ground what we consider sex in how we experience pleasure and our ability and flexibility and kind of intuition Mm -hmm. towards our bodies and the bodies of others Mm -hmm. the door opens for a lot more world building around what sex looks like, what bodies can do, what bodies can feel. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a lot of, I think people are afraid to experience their bodies. I think people have a lot of shame around their bodies and sexuality and kinks and fetishes and parts of their, parts of their bodies that are erogenous zones that are not typically erogenous zones as we're told what is typical. So I think, yeah, I think when we talk about imagination and sex and kink and disability, to be disabled in this world and to survive takes a kind of ingenuity and creativity. Even when it just comes to, okay, this venue is inaccessible. How do I get to A to B to C to do what I need to do? Or Mm -hmm. how do Mm -hmm. I, I know I need to work today, but I'm low on spoons. How can I get this done or not get this done? 
you know, so it, it, it's a lot of prioritizing. It's a lot of thinking outside the box. It's a lot of seeing the structures, physical policy-wise and otherwise, and inserting our bodies, which are not really meant to exist or survive well in our society, and making it work. So it's the same thing with sex, I feel, and like using different tools for sex. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It just takes a lot of ingenuity because, you know, disabled pleasure it's not seen because it's not valued so Mm. you have to use your own imagination to make it up and kind of create it out of thin air and I think that's something that's it's pretty magical yes yeah I love it was magical listening to you say that yes absolutely (laughs) Wow. wow I love this episode. Yes, Thank you all. Yes. <laughs> really, I yes. can talk about this for a while. I can give you all a story if you'd like. I can. Yeah, okay, <laughs> okay <laughs> Dawn. Yeah, I was like, you, yeah, I think you found yourself a new little niche area. It's like, oh, no. it's stories online. <laughs> I could totally do that. Right. <laughs> but seriously, thank you both so much for your vulnerability and for. Yes, for just being honest and, yeah, and sharing a part yes. of your life. Yeah. Yes. yes. So, um, where do we start? Sarah, where can people find you online? Again, I recommend that everyone uh, take a look at and read Sarah's article, but she's also just, a, you know, she's been published elsewhere as well. So, where can people find your writing and? So people, people can find all of my writing on my website, um, which is sarahgregory.org. My professional name is Sarah Youngblood Gregory, so you can just also Google me. My Twitter is it's at s underscore youngblood underscore g, which I just changed today. And then my Instagram, I'm really active on Instagram. It's um, at sinister.spinster. Yeah, so those are the best ways to find me. And I have a contact page on my website as well. If anyone wants to reach out directly. Yep. Thank you. That's awesome. Oh my God! Please, please. Oh, I'll edit that out. Thank you. Yes, yes, so you yes. go ahead, cause I'm tired. Sorry. Go ahead. Go. <laughs> it's okay. I'm gonna be so yeah, okay. I, I edit it okay. out, but yeah. 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 Um, so my my site is uh, uh mistress-magenta.com, um, and you can message me through there. And my Twitter is at mistress magenta. Thank both of you again so much. We really appreciate it. And yes. Thank you both so much. It was so great to connect with you, Mistress Magenta. I really admire the work you do. Yeah, no, it was great. I I actually read your article and it was, it was, it was really nice to kind of like hear it, you know, hear an experience from a submissive side. So definitely recommend everyone go check out the article. Thank you. Thank you all. Thanks for tuning in to the Myelin and Melanin podcast. You can always find us on the web at myelinandmelanin.com, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at myelinmelanin. You can always subscribe to us on YouTube. And don't forget to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.